Uh, welcome to week four of our series, Hostage. Um, this has been, honestly, it's been one of my favorite series we've done in a while. Maybe one of the reasons is because I, I preach to myself about every week, and I wind up feeling convicted myself where God has dealt with me. But uh, week one, we talked about breaking free from worry. Breaking free from worry. And we define worry like this. Worry is the sin of not trusting in the promises of power of God. And what we said is this. We're going to give God. We're going to do what we can do. But what we can't do, what are we going to do? Give it to God. God, here it is. I'm not going to worry about it. It's yours. Uh, week two, we had the house that Mercy built uh, come over here. Powerful testimonies. from uh, You heard Stories from women that had, that had broken free from, from addiction, from low self-worth, uh, from abuse, and what God was doing in their lives. Uh, last week, we talked about bitterness. How many, uh, after, if you were here last week, you left here thinking, maybe I've got a bitter root and I just didn't know I did. I mean, when I was studying for it, that's kind of where it hit me. Uh, but bitterness is, we talked about this, bitterness has a dangerous root. And with that, bitterness produces a dangerous fruit. Uh, how do you break free from bitterness? Kill it with compassion and kill it with forgiveness. And I gave you this final point. Forgive, unforgiveness is just bitterness in diapers. Meaning if you refuse to forgive, it's going to grow up and that bitterness is going to become a full-grown adult someday. Uh, next week, I'm going to encourage you, next week we're going to be talking about dealing with uh, breaking free from addiction. Now, I know whenever I say addiction, we all got that person in our mind. Colic, pills. Listen, we're going to cover the gamut. We're going to talk about addiction to food. We're going to talk about addiction to lying. Oh, I didn't figure that getting any amens when I was talking about food. Don't mess with my food, Kelly. <laughs> Pouring at all them other heathens, but don't talk about my food. Uh, we're going to talk about addiction to gossip. And I mean, just because there's more than one. Are you with me? In fact, here, here's a preview promo for next week. Come on. You know you want it. Just one more time. Sure, you said you'd quit. And you believed it. But deep down, you know. You can't do it on your own. You're hooked. And that's all I need to know. So I want to encourage you. Get somebody here next week. Get yourself here next week. This week, we're dealing with anger. Anger. Anybody ever get angry? Okay, I'm, now I'm going to have to do an altar call for liars at the end of this service. Uh, anybody ever know that person that they just seem like they're so angry all the time? Come on, you, you know that person? Is, you ever, remember Elf? He's an angry little Elf. Um, remember that? Come on. But you know that one person, it seems like they're just angry all the time. They walk around with a chip on their shoulder. Or you ever run to that person, been with that person that everything's okay, they seem normal, they seem fine, and something happens, it's not big. But it sends them into, you. I mean, you're like, who is this person that just manifested in front of me? You ever been around them? You ever been around that person that you got to walk on eggshells around them all the time? 
Come on. Wives, husbands, now's not the time to poke them on the shoulder. But angry, we get angry. And, and truth is, there's some here, you're angry. And sometimes we're angry and we don't even know what we're angry about. But, but my question is, to this, this morning, to this group of people here, what or whom are you angry at? Are you angry at a spouse that walked out on you? Are you angry at a, a parent that walked out on you? They act like you didn't exist. Are, are, you, are you angry at someone that betrayed you or they took uh, advantage of you? Uh, maybe you think, uh, think about your job and you're just angry at your job or your boss. Maybe you're angry at yourself because you realize you made a bunch of dumb decisions and now you're just angry at yourself. Maybe you're angry at God. Can I, can I tell you, see, when I was growing up, we were taught, man, don't express, don't let God know you're angry. I'm like, I thought God knew everything about us already, what we were thinking. So my thing is I'd rather go ahead and get it out there. But maybe you are angry at God. I, I, this Thursday, I think it was, when we were, we'd come in and Mama had kind of made the decision, you know, I'm going to go on hospice, man. I, I'm ready. I'm making my peace. And uh, she's sitting there in the sickness that had taken her body. Men were all sitting there. And Mom says, I'm so angry at this. Because mom wants, she said, I want to live to watch my grandkids grow up. My great-grandkids, and I hate this sickness. Maybe you're angry at something like that. So for the next few minutes, uh, I want to talk about four different types of anger. We're going to look at sudden anger. We're going to look at sinful anger. We're going to look at stubborn anger. And then we're going to close out looking at sanctified anger. Here's the first one, sudden anger. Sudden anger needs to be controlled. Needs to be controlled. Here, here's what Proverbs 14, 17 says. See if you can relate. The hot-headed do things they'll later regret. That convict anybody besides me? Uh, one, one, one chapter over it says this. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. Here, 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 here's what I call right here. These are what I call spewers. Spewers. Come on. They just spew. Spew it out. They don't try to hold it in. They just let it out. Anybody know anybody like that? Come on. Come on. Get, yeah. Anybody, anybody, was, anybody say, I've been known to spew a little bit. I got my hand up. I, I've been known to. Uh, in fact, uh, years, years ago, uh, I, I, I used to own horses. And I uh, had this one horse and was riding this thing. And I was in a full gallop. And the horse decided... It was tired of running. It wanted to stop. It stopped. I didn't. <laughs> I came up over the top of that horse, and I got angry, and I spewed. I grabbed up that bridle, balled my hand up into a fist. I hit that horse in the top of the head as hard as I can. <laughs> For references, horses' heads are very hard. <laughs> They're like a bone. I thought I broke my hand. And I was like, now I'm just more angry. But spewing, spewing. Uh, look what Proverbs 29, 11 says. Few, fools give full vent to, or they spew their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. Can we be honest? When you spew, when you vent, doesn't it feel good for a moment? Come on, be honest. You let it out there. Oh, yeah, I gave 
Oh, that felt good. I gave them a piece of my mind. And then he thinks, here, look, look, here's what Chuck Swindoll said about that. He said, I got so angry that I gave him a piece of my mind, and it was a piece I couldn't afford to lose. <laughs> here's what Will Rogers says. Whenever you fly into a rage, you seldom make a safe landing. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard when it comes to self-control and losing our temper. Are you, are you following me? We, we're required. Uh, yet, as Christians, I see so much spewing going on, especially on social media. See, when I was growing up, you had to actually face somebody you wanted to tell off. Which you thought about it a little bit more before you did it. Nowadays... Oh, here's what I think. Click, 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 click. Sin. You don't have to really have to face anybody. And what bothers me is a lot of it is people that call themselves followers of Jesus tearing each other down. And I realize this, and I think there are things that we ought to be passionate about. And we're going into this new political climate, man. That My least favorite time of the year is election time because of all the going on backbiting, you'll see it on social media. You find out this person is this or that. Oh, I'm going to defriend them. I, I mean, it, it's just so much spewing going on. And, and he, I heard Bill John say this a few weeks ago. He was talking about the, uh, the political, social, and racial climate in America. And he said this. He said, I don't think on many, many issues the enemy cares what your opinion is as long as you step outside of the character of Christ to defend it. Let that sink in. He doesn't care whether you're against this or for this. All he cares is, can I get them to step outside of the character of Christ and fight for it, defend it, make a scene out of it? And that's what I see so often. Not that people aren't passionate about the right things, but they let step outside of Christ to try to defend it. And that's wrong. You say, Kelly, come on, I just can't control it. It just comes out. And I would say that's a lie. Because I've seen people that say that I can't control it. And and yet they'll be just so angry and irate. And the phone rings. Hello. No, you didn't catch me at a bad time. No, no, things are good. And like that, they go from the wicked witch to Mother Teresa. So, you know, you can't. Some of y'all did it here on the whole way to church. You're trying to hit your kids in the back seat. You and your wife are fussing. Get out of the car. Oh, God bless you, brother. Oh, so good to see you. Come on. You got spewers. On the other end of the spectrum, though, you've got what I call stewers. They just push it down and hope it goes away. How many stewers in the house? Yeah, a lot of you won't say that because you're stewing on it right now. I'm so angry at him for bringing this up. I'd rather him talk about sex or money. Let's go. Come on now. Stewards, they just hold it down. They, 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 they push it down hoping it'll go away, hoping they'll not, never have to deal with it. Look what King David said about this in Psalms 32. He said, when I kept silent, 
When I pushed it down, didn't deal with it, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. He said, when I ignored it, it made my whole body ache. When I just, and here's the truth. Stewards and spewers are a lot alike. They, see, stewards still, uh, they, they still have those knockdown, drag out fights. They still explode in fits of rage. The difference is it all happens up here. Come on, I, listen, I've been, I, I've walked in here and in people's heads, they have torn me up, torn me a new one. They have said, they have cussed me out in their head. They have, they have said so many things about me, things that made up new words that I don't even know what they are about me. And then when I walk into the room, oh, hey, pastor, hey, how you doing? Oh, so good to see you. Come on. Stewards, they just stew on it. They just sit on it. And, and you, you know the story of the prodigal son? And, you know, if you don't know it, I'll give you a very quick rundown. The, the, one of the sons in, in the Bible, he comes to his dad and basically says, Dad, to me you're dead. Dead. Give me what's owed to me. Give, give me my inheritance. The dad agrees to it. The son takes off and, and just man parties it up with whatever he, he got as an inheritance well when you read the story it implies that the father every day was on the front porch looking out for his younger son that left well the older son stayed back now i can relate to this because when my brother casey was in his 20 plus years of addiction i watched my mom and my dad wait for him pray for him no matter how wrong he did them I mean, y'all have heard me talk about, I mean, I'm a Christian, and, and I literally laid hands on him, not in the good way. And, and it came to, because I, I couldn't stand what it was doing to my mom and dad. Now, I mean, if you don't know, he is, he is now over two years clean and sober and incredible. In fact, he's going to be preaching for me here on October 20th. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Uh, so I can imagine this older brother watching his dad. Dad, come on. I know I'm, 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 I'm watching. I can imagine him watching his dad cry and weep over the younger son being on. And now the younger son comes home and the older brother hears, what is that noise? Oh, they're throwing a party for your younger brother. He's come home and your dad's giving him the family ring back, the robe back. They're killed a fatted calf for him. They're celebrating. And look what it says the older brother did. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. He would rather sit outside and stew than even go to his dad. Dad, what's the deal? What's going on? I've been serving you. What, what's the dad had to come to him? And you may be sitting here saying, well, PK, I'm just, I just think the older brother, he showed a lot of self-control by just staying out there. Maybe. But here's what I know about those that stew. That it's going to mess you up inside. And sooner or later, it comes out. Those that stew. And when it does come out, it's not going to only hurt the one you're spewing on. But it's going to hurt anybody that's in the explosion radius of you. So the second type of anger, let's look at sinful anger. It needs to be condemned. Now let's get this right off the bat. Uh, not all anger is sinful. Are you hearing me? Not, not all anger is sin, sinful. But I hear a lot of people that, that, that deal with anger issues. They'll say, well, Kelly, Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry. He ran those people out of the temple courts. 
Here's my two observations of that, that uh, argument. One is this. You're not Jesus. And two, Jesus got angry over injustice. Jesus got angry when people were treated less than what he knew they were created to be. Jesus got angry when, when they would ridicule one sect of people. Jesus got angry. What do you get angry at? Somebody pull out in front of you? Come on. Somebody get a promotion you don't? See, the thing about Jesus' anger, man, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at Matthew 5, 21, 22, what it says about anger. It says, you've, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. This is Jesus talking. But I say, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be, will be subject to judgment. Anyone who is angry with a what? With, come on, with what? What does that imply? Family. Family. Whether, it, whether it's a domestic or whether it's family of God. You see, if you're my brother and my, or my sister, I just feel like we should spend more time lifting one each other up, encouraging each other, instead of tearing each other down. Family, we're family. See, here's the thing about my family. I grew up with uh, three other brothers. I, I could, we could fight, and I mean we fought. And we could do things, but if somebody outside my family messed with them, you're going to feel, I don't care what I just said about them, that don't give you a right to mess with my family. What if we, the family of God, began to be that way? I mean, not tear, but say, hey, 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 hey. Listen, this is between me and him. Don't you jump in this argument. We'll settle this. But I'm telling you, we, got it. we are the family of God. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus' anger was never focused at people. Ever. It focused on the sin. It focused on the wrong being done. Our anger, though, gets focused on people, individuals, groups of people. And here's the bad thing about sinful anger. It always wants someone to pay. It always wants revenge. So check your anger. Is your anger sinful? You, you ever notice that there's some people that seem like they just enjoy being angry? They, they don't want heal. They don't want fixed. They don't want set free from, from being an angry person. They enjoy being called that angry person. In, in fact, if they weren't angry anymore, who would they be? It would lose who people identify them as. They enjoy the attention. But the biggest problem with that is those that hold on to that type of anger, it usually stems from some unforgiveness in their life. And if you don't forgive, you'll always be that person. I'm telling you, if it's sinful anger, recognize it, repent of it, turn to God, tell him to do something with it that you can't. Uh, the third sin, uh, sin or anger we're going to talk about, stubborn anger. It has to be conquered. You know what I mean by stubborn anger? That, that anger that just stays with you day after day after day. See, they tell you not to make your, your wife angry at you because they can remember things for a very long time. Any men know what I'm talking about? You see, see that's why women, that they could threaten, and, and I don't suggest this, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, I do say that our services are PG-13, so 
But that's why a woman, uh, you know, if she says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hold out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Sex. And whatever you're going. But a man can't do that. See, 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 because women, women are, men are like fish. They need water. Women are like camels. They can wander around and never drink water. They're loaded. So you got to, you know, you got to, some, some of y'all, see, some of y'all are just angry because I just told you that. But stubborn anger, stubborn anger that just keeps holding on, it won't let go. It won't forgive. Uh, I want to look at a passage that deals with anger. Ephesians 4.26. The guy that wrote this, if anybody had a reason to be angry, it was Paul. Paul, I'm talking about the one that got thrown into prison when he wrote this. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, for starting churches, for doing what God told him to do. And it gets him thrown into prison. I would be angry. Come on. I'd be saying, God, what's the deal? I'm doing what you told me to do, and here I'm in prison? What the heck? Come on, anybody else? But look what Paul says. In your anger, do not what? See, I, I think Paul's doing this. You ever talk to yourself? Here, I think Paul's going, okay, Paul. Paul, I know you got every right to be angry. Uh, go ahead and be angry, but man, don't, don't sin. Don't, don't blow it. People are watching. Don't sin. And Paul says, hey, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a what? Foothold. I love the way the passion says this, because for me, it gives me a better understanding of what Paul's talking about. It says this, but don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fueled for revenge, not even for a day. And he says this, don't give the slanderous accuser of the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. Paul says, don't let your passion or your emotions lead you to sin. How many know anger is an emotion? It's an emotion. And Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. Don't give him a foothold. That word foothold there, the, the original Greek word is, is this. It's topos. It means a place, uh, any portion or space marked off, an inhabited place, a village, a city, a district, or power. Paul says, don't allow the enemy to have power over your emotions. Don't allow him, don't, don't, he says, when you stay angry, what you're doing is giving him a room. He's setting up a room in your heart. And what you do, if you stay there long enough, that anger will eventually lead to sin. Don't allow that. Don't allow it. it I mean, isn't that what happened the, the first time that anger gets mentioned in the Bible? Anybody remember Cain and Abel? Anybody remember them? I, I, I mean, you, you've got the, the two brothers, Adam and these boys, and look what God said to Cain. God said this, he said, why are you angry, Cain? Why is your face downcast? Because if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, look at this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. He says, hey, God says, Cain, you need to understand, sin is waiting for the opportunity to get a foothold in your life with this anger. You've got to rule over it. You've got to tr uh, control it. Uh, you've got to exercise some dominion over it. And I can see Cain playing this over and over in his head out there. And that's why God came to him. Because Cain's like, listen, all my brother Abel does 
is tend the sheep. What do they do? They eat, sleep, and poop. That's it. And they grow. What's he got to do? He don't have really, they eat grass out there. He don't even have to feed them. Me? I've got to work this field. I've got to dig ditch lines. I've got to plant. I've got to put, put in some blood, sweat, and tears into this. All he got to do is that. And God said, Cain, you running that over and over in your mind. If you allow that, the enemy's going to have a foothold and it is going to lead you to sin. And we know the outcome of Cain's anger. Killed his own brother. You may say, well, Kelly, Kelly, I would never murder someone or kill someone. You ever gotten so mad at somebody that you just blurted out, I hate you. Or I hate them. Come on. Somebody, I know. I, I mean, I've said about some of you. Uh, no, no, I'm joking. A little humor. Little humor there. Uh, I don't say that because I have to love you. God told me I did. Uh, but here, here's the thing we don't understand because in our culture of grace, 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 we're all about grace. We're all about grace. What we fail to understand is grace requires more than the law did. Because the law says this, thou shalt not murder. Jesus comes along and says this, if you have hatred in your heart toward a brother and sister, you've, you've murdered. Grace requires more. Paul says, don't allow the devil to manipulate you. Bring that anger to God and let him do with it what you're not able to. Check this out. Where do I start? Uh, I grew up in a very close-knit family. My dad was one of 12 siblings. and So to say I had a lot of cousins was an understatement. Uh, I had a lot, and we would get together all the time, family functions. And my dad didn't really talk a lot about his growing up. But now my uncles, they would tell story after story. A lot of them would end up with them getting angry about a fight they got into, not as teenagers now, as adults. Uh, I had been a witness uh, to some of these outbursts, uh, some of these angers. I saw people fly off the handle in the rage. I'd seen that on a few occasions. But, but here, here was the excuse that I always gravitated toward. And they would tell me was, hey, it's just a Goins temper. It's just that Goins gene. Every Goins has it. Nothing you can do about it. And that's just what I was told. I, I don't know exactly when the fire of anger began to burn within me, but I do remember one time it was fifth grade. Uh, Miss Gaynor was my teacher, and I got so angry at someone lying about me that I took the top of the desk and I ripped it off in a fit of rage. I guess from then on, anger just began to be a part of who I was. I mean, to be honest, I could fly off the handle at any given moment without warning. Uh, a, a wrong look at me. Uh, a word that I thought you said toward me, uh, things didn't go my way or the way I wanted them, it could send me, I mean, at the drop of the hat, I could be angry. Anger became my go-to drug of choice. And, and in a moment of anger, I could tear you down with my words. And if that didn't work, I didn't mind trading blows with you. And, and whenever that monster of anger would take control of me. It, it didn't matter if you were the one I was angry at or not, because if you got in my way, you, you were going to experience my wrath. It, it just didn't matter. 
that was my anger. All through my teenage years, that anger, that monster, just built momentum, grew stronger and more. That hate, just who I am. Go on's temper. Nothing you can do about it. The problem with just gravitating toward, hey, it's a goin's temper. It's nothing you can do about it was, I carried that into my first marriage. There were times in that marriage that things got really ugly. And, and finally, after about two years of my temper, my fits of rage, she decided enough was enough and left and divorced me, which left me broken. Now, not only do I have this temper, but I feel broken, and I know it's my fault. I know I'm the one that caused it all, but that didn't matter. I wasn't about to be seen crying, and so I went to my drug of choice again, and I just grew angrier and angrier. And I walked around daring anyone else that, that, that she knew or that knew about us, just uh, daring them to say something or look at me the wrong way. It even came to a point where one time I got a couple of my cousins that loved to fight. And I knew where some of her friends were playing pool at. And we walked in there and I just challenged them to a fight right there and there. My anger didn't care, didn't even think about the consequences of what might or could happen. The fire, the monster of anger just kept getting hotter and hotter. I ended up moving to California and, and basically did that to get away before I really did something stupid and allow my anger to do that. I, I just had to get away. Running, I began running from the pain, running from what I thought were the things that, that, that fueled my anger and hatred. Just running, but it never went away. It would hide. It, it, would, it, it would bury its head for a while, but then it would reappear. And, but then it would go hidden again. I moved back home to, to Tennessee from California. And after about uh, being back here, I met who had become my future wife, Denise, and, and finally convinced her into dating me. And even in the course of our dating, she saw a little bit of the anger come out. But we got married and after, shortly after we got married, the anger reared its ugly head more and more and just began gaining more and more momentum. Basically, it began to affect every area of my life because the people that were in relation with me didn't know which Kelly they were gonna get. And then it began to affect and impact my marriage. And after a couple of years of my wife and these putting up with it, she said, something's gotta change. I can't live with this anymore. That's when I decided to seek help. To, 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 one of the things that, that I had to do was this, I had to own my anger. 
uh, and quit using the excuse that this is just part of who I am. It's a going thing. Quit using that excuse because truthfully, that's not who I am. And I don't uh, care if everybody in my family has a temper. I don't care if that's an excuse they use. I want to change. I want it to be transformed. And things begin to change, not overnight, but every day I begin giving my temper, my anger to God. I, I would love to say that I've completely killed and put out the fire thing. But I've learned and I continue to learn that the God inside of me is bigger than the fire of anger in my life. So now it's a daily, sometimes hourly decision of how I'm going to, to, to choose to respond, to react to any given situation whether I'm going to allow anger to hold me hostage and control me, or if I'm going to exercise dominion over this anger in my life and break free. It took me recognizing and owning. It took me to stop blaming everybody else for my problem. I'm learning that with God working in and through me, this will not control me anymore. I will not be held hostage to anger. Amen. So, every time I hear myself talk, I'm like, man, I am that country. Good <laughs> Lord. Nancy, so what do you do with your anger? What do you do with your anger? In the video I shot, I used fire kind of as symbolizing anger and how we feel that but I'm funny to me is in the Bible there are at least 15 different times where where it refers to anger and, and it uses fire as a metaphor see here's the thing about fire fire can be used for good I mean if, if you like to camp I've been told this I don't like to camp uh, I just see no point in pretending to be homeless uh But if uh, it can, if you start a fire, it can keep animals, predators away. It can keep you warm. It can cook. Fire has good qualities, right? But fire can also be very destructive. We saw a few years back at the the fire that was started in Gatlinburg, where it consumed over eighteen thousand acres, destroyed over twenty four hundred buildings and homes. Four people lost their lives. Fire can be very destructive. The same is true of anger. Anger can be productive. It can be used for good, but it can also be very, very destructive. So what do we do with it? How do we deal with sudden anger, stubborn anger, sinful anger? Uh, well, here's the thing. If those are a fire, put it out. Douse it. Throw some water on it. Throw something on it. Put out that fire. We've got to find a way. What, what we've got to do is find a way to begin to initiate self-control in our lives. Anger. Hey, look what Proverbs 17 14 says. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Imagine what's barred dam down here. Imagine something was to happen 
that caused a breach in that dam and allowed all that water through at one time. Can you imagine the destruction it would cost on down the river? So starting a quarrel is like that. It brings destruction. It brings destruction. So drop it before it, the, a dispute breaks out. Drop it. The Bible says, hey, just, just stop it. Don't bring it up. Don't, just stop it before it starts. And here's my thing. It's not just who you are. If you've used that excuse, quit using it. It's not just who you are. Kelly, I was born this way. I will give you that. Because the Bible says we're all born sinners. So I'll give you that. Maybe you were born with, with, with a tendency for that. But that doesn't mean you have to stay there. But you've got to own it. You've got to acknowledge it, that it's a problem. And, and I know we say this, that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for 5, 10, 15 years, and you're still not okay, something's wrong. We should be, listen, I don't stand up here. Y'all know me, good Lord. I'm, I do not have it all together. Uh, the days I, I get it to, that I have a good day where I don't screw up in some way, I'm like, well, thank you, Jesus, and go on. But we should be striving for it. We shouldn't be just, well, this is just who I am. We, I, I'm telling you, we've got to, I, I like the way Andy Minio says it in one of his songs. He says, I've got two choices, make moves or make excuses. You've got two choices when it comes to dealing with anger. You can make excuses for it. Or you can make changes. You can make changes. Uh, so how do we make those changes? Look at what James 1.19 says. If I can get Bob or one of them to come on up here. It says this. Post this at all intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And I love this. Let anger straggle along in the rear. You may know the scripture better by it saying be slow to anger. But I love the way the message says it. Let anger straggle along somewhere in the rear. Don't let it be front and center. Some of you, anger has been front and center too long. Too long. It's your go-to drug. And as followers of Jesus, we have to develop this ability to be slow to anger. But one more thing, and this is what I'm closing with, is we've got to develop the last anger. Sanctified anger must be allowed to burn. Here's what's the sad truth about church on Sunday, Sundays in the South. But it's not just the South. But we're guilty of coming in here, hearing a message like this, saying, Amen, preach it, brother, and walking out those doors and nothing different. Nothing's changed. Nothing, nothing else. Amen, praise God, that's great, but nothing else is going to change in my life. The problem with that is this, guys. The world we're living in is broken, and it is falling apart, and it's dying. And it needs some people with some sanctified anger that will stand up for what is right and begin to allow that to burn. I'm telling you, what does that look like? I'm going to tell you, for James Lacombe, here's what it looked like. If you know James, he's over at Triple H, our, our homeless ministry here at the church. He had never done it before, but God began to put a, a sanctified anger in him to help the, 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 the homeless people, to give them food, to give them clothes, to give them necessities like toothbrushes and things we take for granted. And he began in Chattanooga and, and then Knoxville. And he's like, Kelly, I want to do something local. And then he says, two weeks ago, Somebody called him out of the blue. He said, I don't even know how they got my number. 
But they were they had a governmental position over in the Spring City, Ray County area. And they said, is this James McComb? He said, yeah. He said, well, we've heard about what you're doing in Chattanooga, Knoxville. And we want to let you know there's a homeless group of people in Spring City. And we want to know, would you be interested in helping them? You know where James McComb is today? He's over in Spring City trying to find these people. Because a sanctified anger rose up in him and said this, homeless doesn't need to mean helpless or hopeless. He's spreading them to you. What does it look like for you? For my mom, it was addiction because she had a son that was, that, that was it had tore apart families. It had tore apart relationships. And she got this sanctified anger toward addiction and started Project 836. A recovery ministry. If that's something that angers you, you need to hook up with our Celebrate Recovery Project 836 and become a leader and begin to help others get free. What does your sanctified anger look like? For my daughter Sheridan. Sheridan was, uh, what, what got her what was the abortion crisis in America. But here's what she didn't do. When something angered her, she just didn't get online and, and, and say, this is, oh, I hate this, I hate that. No, she went down to a local uh, a pregnancy crisis clinic in Cleveland and said, I want to volunteer here. I want to counsel with young girls that are dealing with this and trying to figure make choices in their life. What, what is the sanctified anger that gets you? What is it? Because there's something there. Instead of us, all these other types of angers where we get out and we tear things down, tear people down, tear our organizations down, what is the sanctified anger that makes you say, I want to make a difference? What is it? What makes you angry? Jesus had a sanctified anger. You know what made him angry? Check it out, Mark 3. I promise you we're closing. Listen, I'm, I'm ahead of schedule. Mark 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the Pharisees, because to see what was happening, the Pharisees followed him around, watching him to mess up or make a mistake or do something that was against the law so they could, so they could come against him. And that's what they were doing. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Jesus like, I know they're looking on. We're not going to do this in private. Stand up because I've got a sanctified anger in me right now because people would rather me obey a law about healing on Sunday than see a man set free and that angered Jesus. Jesus got angry. And Jesus asked him, he asked the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Look at this. He looked around at them with anger, grieved, grieved at the hardness of their heart. You see the focus of Jesus' anger? At their heart. At their hardened, stubborn hearts. The sun had come up and gone down so many times on their anger that they had allowed the, the, the devil to get a foothold in their life. And they couldn't see the good of healing someone on the Sabbath. 
of healing someone, period. Jesus got angry. Man, maybe that's what the church needs today. A bunch of people with some sanctified anger. To become angry at the corruption in the world. To become angry at the evil in the world. To become angry at the pornography in the world. Come on, to become angry. Maybe instead of all these types, other types of anger that cause us to fight against each other, we need some sanctified anger. Because when Jesus allowed the sanctified anger to move him, look what happened. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. The guy stretched out his hand, and his hand was restored. Maybe if we were to stop it with all the stubborn, sudden, and sinful anger in us, and we will begin to exercise dominion over it and then turn the fuels of fire toward righteous and sanctified anger, maybe we would see a change in our communities. Maybe we'd see a change in the world. You know what fuels my sanctified anger? Can I be honest with you? I'm going to be anyway. We as followers of Jesus, we as Christians that talk about the mercy and grace and talk about all, all, all that yet 49% of the marriages are ending in divorce our rate is no different than those that don't call themselves followers of Jesus because we're so consumed with our selfishness getting it our way or we can't let things go what if instead of getting angry at our spouse we got angry at the one that's trying to destroy our marriage Come on, are you hearing me? You, you know what else get, gets, gets me angry? It is, it is I, I get angry that we as followers of Jesus have been so, shown so much grace, so much mercy. We have fallen and God has restored us, fallen. God has forgiven us, fallen. And God still loves us, yet we can't extend that to our neighbor. You know what gets me angry with the righteous anger? The fact that in a survey, when they went out asking people, hey, if a friend invited you to church, would you go with them? 80% said they would. Yet, only 2% of people that call themselves followers of Christ invite a friend to church. That should anger us. That should make me say, not, not, I'm not going to be part of that. I, I'm going to be. I, I'm going to be part of the two percent that invites. I'm going to make this. I, I want Watts Bar to, to where that's on the other spectrum, where it's ninety-eight percent of our people that are out there inviting. Why? Because we believe what God has done in us, He wants to do for others. Stand with me across this room. What fuels your anger?